Good morning, noon, or night, wherever and whenever you're listening. You're listening to The Shift. This is episode 28, and I am your host, Doug McKenty. It's being recorded on the second, uh, the 26th of February, 2018. If you like what you're hearing, please think about becoming a patron. That's patreon.com backslash The Shift. I get more info at my Facebook page, The Shift with Doug McKenty. Join the conversation on Twitter at McKenty, or my website is theshiftnow.com for archives and other information. My guest on the show today is author, journalist, and editor Teodoros Fiker. He has written two books, a collection of poetry entitled Serendipity's Trace, as well as Soul to Soil, a compilation of observations and prose designed to synthesize the binary nature of existence. More recently, Teodoros works as the founder, editor, and principal writer at the Guyon Journal, an online independent media source which seeks to revolutionize the way media is disseminated and consumed by offering an alternative paradigm to the two-party ideology offered by the corporate state media. As a first-generation immigrant from Ethiopia, he brings a uniquely African perception to his work, as well as the ability to temper hard-nosed, critical anti-establishment journalism with an emotional, artistic aspect that brings deeper meaning and depth to the revolution. Tidros brings a variety of life experience to his work, once a successful defense contractor at Booz Allen Hamilton, whose ideas made their way into Obama's 2008 victory speech. He later found himself disillusioned to the point of homelessness, learning firsthand the experience of the most alienated amongst us. Stay tuned to find out more about this remarkable story and the ideas behind the revolution happening at the Guy on Journal. Thanks for agreeing to be on the show, and thanks, Tidros, for helping to make the shift. Thank you so much, Doug. Uh, that was, I was kind of listening to you. I was like, oh, that's, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right on. I mean, I certainly i have been impressed with your work. I've probably been... Uh, reading what you've been putting out over Facebook, at least for six or eight months now. And uh, I was really happy actually to hear an African-American perspective, uh, especially around the time of the whole Trump racism, right. Charlottesville era about white privilege and mm -hmm. such. You're, you had a kind of a unique perception that I really resonated with as a, as a white man, you know? <laughs> and so I really appreciated that sure. work and, and that's what got me kind of hooked. But then I got in, you know, in, into the rest of your stuff as well. And it's just nice to see more good independent media being put out there. Mm. Did I get, I meant to ask you before, did I get all the pronunciations right? Is that how, how do you say so your close. name? <laughs> no. Okay. It's actually Fikre, uh, but okay. Okay. trust me, I've been called a lot of things in life. <laughs> yeah, and right. this is the least of the, of the, <laughs> the least of my <laughs> so I'll take it. But no, it's uh, Teodoros Fikre. And by the way, let me just say uh, at the outset, uh, there was a time, so I try not to be too judgmental. Uh, towards mm -hmm. people that do dabble in this uh, paradigm of identity politics uh, and, and this outrushes them because I was there too, right? So yeah. uh, when I was right. in 2008, when I, when I was in fact busting my ass for the Obama campaign, I, I saw everything through the prism of uh, left, right, black and, uh, black and white. Uh, I used to say, go around saying white privilege and, and mm -hmm. you know, and, and making fun of conservatives um, you know, and, and only thinking that injustice came my way and not, not seeing the total picture. And, uh, so, uh, hardship has a way of, uh, crystallizing things and, uh, showing you if you, if you choose anyways, uh, to see the real nature of injustice. Uh, so I don't see you as a white man and I don't see me as a black man. I see you as, yeah. as, as a human being. Uh, these, these, totally. these labels are just, they're, they're artificial constructs, uh, before they were imposed upon humanity to divide us, 
we didn't call each other these names. They, they were imposed upon us by people that 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 saw a profit motive in and us being divided. And so mm-hmm. I don't feed into that anymore. I reject it out of hand, and I see all of us as fellow human beings. Uh, that's not to say that I disavow, I disavow cultures. I love different cultures that we all bring to the table, right? So I love my Ethiopian culture, for example. And I don't right. know what quite to call it yet because I don't really like to, the word African anymore for a lot of reasons. But I love the African American right. culture uh, and, and 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 the Irish culture and the Japanese culture. We all have different beauties within us. Right. So it's not to, to I'm not preaching conformity. It's uh, I'm just I'm just disavowing uh, differences as, as a cudgel and and if, and seeing. The main thing that that I see first is what we have in common, and within those commonalities, accepting our differences. So, yeah, I, you know, it's it's it took hardship for me to understand that. Yeah, I mean, I and I just so appreciated it because I think you're right. You know, hitting the nail right on the head with this divide and conquer tactic that we're getting so much from the mainstream media and from the upper classes that are able to use this separation, trying to get white to mm. fight black or, right. or male to fight female or left to fight right instead right. of, and, and you talk about this, I know a lot in your work, is unifying. Right. I mean, you, you know, we can be from different cultures and different backgrounds, but unify under the cause of of liberating ourselves right. from, exactly. you know, what's really going on. And, and so a lot of this, I, I can't agree with you more. Uh, is to take our eye off the ball. Whatever community or whatever cultural background we have, you know, we're all under the thumb of the man right now. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. By the way, or the because look, these things, people at the very top, they there's no difference between black or white, women or or men. So, you know, um, I I disavow, for example, people that say, oh, you know, Jews do this. No, there's Christians that right. do this as well. Sure. There's you know, there's Buddhists that do this as well. So to me, there, there's, I don't know where, you know, I wrote in the past, I don't know where evil ends and compliance begins. Uh, but I do know there's evil. I do know there's people that actively do this. That, that there's right. they, they actively push, uh, you know, uh, injustices. They actively uh, push uh, uh, suffering upon the planet. And the rest of us react. And unfortunately, we react by fighting each other, by, by fighting fellow victims instead of saying, you know what, we're all getting, uh, you know, walloped by this. Uh, yeah. And that, that's the brilliance of, of the quote unquote system. <laughs> I'm looking at that, that red, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? The, the drape that you have behind you. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of like trying to figure out what's behind, you know, trying to figure out who's in charge is like trying to figure out who is behind the curtain. We'll never know. <laughs> right. Only for, so for me, like the only way I could, uh, uh, you know, uh, isolate who's behind that red curtain is to say who is making money from this, right? So yeah. when I blame, for example, Democrats or Republicans, I don't blame Trump voters. They're not making money from that. I blame right. people that are specifically making um, uh, money and profiting from injustice. They're the ones that are doing this. The rest of us, I don't even care if you're making $400,000 a year unless you're actively like getting fortunes. You know, Trump and Hillary, Obama and Pence, these people that are making money. And by the way, they're they're just pawns in the system, too. There's people that really beyond that Jeff Bezos and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, Zuckerberg and and, and the billionaires that we've never even heard of. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, right. Old money in Europe. These people that are actively uh, making profits, they're the ones that's behind the curtains. We'll never see them. So 
stop bashing each other and unite. And so that's what I'm hoping that uh, to accomplish through my writing and you know through uh, through the Guillaume cast and through having conversations like this with you, fellow independent uh, media uh, media outlets and fellow independent journalists. Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate it because it. I mean, it, it just, you know, the mainstream media narrative gets so divisive, and that's exactly according to plan. And right. we all need to be getting together and uniting, uh, at least under the, you know, the common the common flag of, of that we all have the right to make choices for ourselves and have independence within our own communities, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. So, if we don't do that, then they're going to win every time. Yeah. So, you know, the, one of the things I, uh, that you, you, in the intro, I was like listening to it, I was like, well, that's me. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> right. but no, the, 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 the idea of revolutionizing media is not really revolutionary. It's actually the fundamentals of media, which is yeah. the, the, the reason that media is broken right now is because the incentive structure, uh, the corporate uh, business model depends, you know, when I, when I was uh, swimming my MBA, they, they taught us about always have your, your base demographics when marketing. So identify your demographics and then drive everything to that demographic, right? So this is what corporate media does. Fox News, their base demographic is all, you know, older quote unquote white men, uh, right. you know, conservative leaning, uh, you know, uh, old fashioned, whatever. So that, that, you know, between 45 to 55. So that's, that's who they identify with and that's who they drive their messages to. And then MSNBC, uh, it's more maybe inner city, uh, you know, single woman or a politically left leaning. So they, they all go through and, and slice and dice America into mm-hmm. a grievance groups for the sake of, of, of marketing their, their message and for the sake of, of maximizing uh, their profits. So even though they, I'm pretty sure they might be decent human beings that work in corporate media, the system is perverted because the system pays primary attention to profit motive above and beyond the, the main uh, precepts of journalism, which is supposed to be speaking truth to power. So yeah. the revolutionizing I'm talking about is to go back to it, to, to, uh, to decouple uh, media from corporatism and to have it be based within the community. So I'm hoping, and so when you, when you said in the intro uh, about your Patreon, uh, Patreon page and, and, uh, you know, getting, uh, the, the viewers and audience to 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 be their patrons or to be the supporters of independent media that is the only way to go because when 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 the the the, the supporting base is millions of people right as opposed to millions of dollars from one person then we're not as beholden to to the agendas of millions of people at that point we could actually speak truth to power but when yeah, yeah. one person is sending a paycheck of one million dollars or more then all of a sudden that one person has veto powers. So it's completely bastardized the, 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 the fourth estate and they've become shills and, 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 and mouthpieces and there's no truth to be had in corporate media at all. They're, they're peddling this nonsense about Russia on purpose to, and they keep antagonizing us and speaking, you know, whispering to our demons is very dangerous. And so I'm hoping that, we step into the into the breach and, and take over where uh, the uh, mainstream media has been derelict in their duty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been shocked lately. I've really been focusing on how the mainstream media has been able to set the narrative about whatever it is that we're talking about, be it race or 
class or uh, you know, foreign policy, you're talking about Russia or what's going on in Syria, all of these things. And, and then you look at the alternative media, which is fortunately starting to get large enough that you're starting to be able to see some cohesive patterns. Right. And it's pretty amazing that actually the alternative media, I mean, by and large, sees through the, the Russian f- fiction. Right. Right. By and large, they understand that what's going on in Syria is basically American imperialism. Right. You know, right. like there's yeah. no there's no rational justification for what's happening there. This is not a civil war. You right. know, this is not evil Assad. Um, and so it's you know how can all of the independent media, who's which starting to speak in a in a this cohesive voice you know, be so antithetical to the corporate media, except for what you're talking about, which is the millions of dollars, the commercials that are, you know, getting paid. And now I'm looking at it, honestly, you know, it's right in your face. They're taking commercial money. I mean, that's a conflict of interest. Of course, they're not telling you the truth about the banks or the pharmaceutical companies or, you know, the military industrial complex, Mm. because that's where they get their money. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, the, the crazy thing is, I just wrote this earlier on Twitter, by the way. But usually, the the the, the scale and the scope of the of, of the bogeyman uh, is dependent on what type of threat the the establishment feels, right? So, the more there's a threat to the the status quo, the more the the, the bigger the bogeyman becomes. So, you know, nine eleven happened. Uh, the bogeyman became uh, the jihadists, right? And so, mm-hmm. at that point, is because the perceived that before was, well, we had to somehow, we had to make sure that we know what every American is thinking, right? I mean, this is the fact that my, the Patriot Act is targeting us as much as it's targeting outside is ridiculous. I can't right. believe we yeah. accept this as a cost of, be, of being Americans, except we have. So back then, that was the, uh, the, uh, the you know, the, the scale of the bogeyman was, you know, jihadists and, and caves. Now, so now I, I'm assuming that the threat that the, the, the status quo feels is another 2008 happening. And if that really happens, it's going to unravel. And so what better way to deal with this threat but then by creating the ultimate bogeyman, which is Russia. Right. So yeah. a nuclear, I mean, we're talking about nuclear war. And to, to just casually, I mean, I see like uh, there's a, I forgot his first name, Nadler, Jerry Nadler, I think he is. He actually said that what Russia did was worse than 9-11 and that there was right. a pretext to war. I can't, I, I'm just, I saw the interview, I said, wow, this guy is laying down the, the pretext for a war that could end all of humanity. And this is the, the outrageous news of, of, so there's two reasons. One is, because there's a profit motive in this type of sensationalism. And I think the other part of it is because the people that are paying them uh, to, to, to put on commercials, I really think that they feel some, some type of a, of, a, of, a, of a threat from a cohesive voice. And so mm-hmm. the, the bigger the threat becomes of us actually at some point unifying as one people saying no more of this nonsense and reclaiming our government. And I'm not saying this from a, a Tea Party perspective or from a black Black Lives Matter, but I'm, from a, a human American perspective, it is in our vital interest to unite as one, disavow, put aside our differences, and say, okay, we, we demand a better government. Uh, and we can't do that as long as we're just focusing on individual grievances. Uh, and, you know, that's, you see where it's get, that's getting us. And it's very dangerous times. And 
sometimes mm-hmm. it's better not to even think about the, the repercussions. But I don't know. I feel like uh, independent media is is, is the uh, the only thing that that kind of stands in between this level of complete tyranny, <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, and um, you know, and and having some a modicum of freedom. And so, by the way, let me just say this: Ethi- I come from Ethiopia. I was born in '74, the same year that the the Marxists took over and they deposed the the king of Ethiopia back then. Um, up until then, Ethiopia existed for more, more than three thousand years intact. And we've had our ups and downs. We've had our periods of of setbacks and we've had our periods of, of mourning, but we, we survived intact for 3,000 years. In fact, it was up until that point the longest running empire in the history of the world. And then the Marxists took over. Uh, they, they perpetuated a red terror throughout the whole country. 200,000 people uh, perished. And what we thought would never be possible happened within a flash. So tyranny, when people say tyranny, what we're seeing right now might not be tyranny on the, the scale of Ethiopia, but it never comes at one fell swoop. It just nibbles and nibbles and nibbles. And so one mm-hmm. day you wake up, you're like, what? where's my country? And this is what happened in Germany, too. I'm pretty sure Germans never thought that Hitler would rise, except he did, because these things happen in nibbles and nibbles until all of a sudden they take a big chunk. So... Uh, it's in our interest to kind of pay attention to these things and stop paying for, uh, you know, falling for the the BS of uh, corporate media. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if this whole Russia thing that they're pushing and pushing isn't because the threat of the threat of the alternative media. It seemed to like something very bizarre has happened with the Trump the Trump campaign where Trump almost started to court uh, at least the conservative edge of the of the alternative media. He was right. on Alex Jones's show. Uh, and some of the rhetoric on the campaign seemed, I mean, he was talking about, you know, it was almost, he was an anti-war candidate. Of right. course, he hasn't done any of that when he actually gets in office. But you're seeing that in this presidential campaign, they had to acknowledge the existence of the alternative media. And then as soon as Trump gets elected, suddenly this huge Russia thing starts happening. And, you know, all of the alternative media sites, the, the bigger alternative media sites, have been labeled Russia propaganda. Right, 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 <laughs> you know? right, right. And it's yeah, like, yeah, wait a yeah, minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I know. If, if people are like, you're Russian, I'm like, nah, I'm actually Ethiopian, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And Russia's actually, I mean, part, Russia was part of the reason I came to America, because the Marxists took over. But, you know, who has time for facts? But let me right. just say yeah, this. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> the thing about Trump, though, like, all right, so there was always a test to see whether or not he was really an anti-globalist, right? What would he yeah. do with the Federal Reserve? What would he do with uh, the various policies? By the way, the 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 the, the biggest Wall Street toady to me has always been Obama, and I'm not saying this because I feel some type of some some type of a betrayal as a person that that was so in the back for Obama, and then I realized, oh my God, he's same shit. Excuse my language. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? No, I hear you. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm not just saying that from that line of thinking. But then if Trump really was changed, he would have done the complete opposite. Not of rhetoric. Forget rhetoric. Pay attention to the policies. And that's our problem as Americans. We keep focusing on rhetoric and politics. Pay attention to what they're doing in D.C. and the policies they're passing. So who does uh, Trump implement at the Federal Reserve? Powell. Chairman Powell. Powell, who in the 1990s was, you know, he left just in time before the the stuff hit the fan at Bankers Trust. Bankers Trust uh, was defrauding their customers. 
in the same way, they, they were 2008 before 2008. Uh, yeah. And, so this man who, uh, you know, a multinational banker, who a uh, banking shyster, excuse my language, but he, he is what he is, <laughs> is now put into the Federal Reserve amongst other bankers, amongst other. So the Federal Reserve is not even a governmental entity. It's, it's a, a private club for bankers. Mm. So if Trump was really a, an anti-globalist, he would have dismantled the Federal Reserve. Instead, he puts in a, a capo of the, uh, of the banking mafia to, to head the banking mafia. So this is everything at that point. Because, and by the way, TPP, the same thing that he said he was against, they're not going to, they're talking about bringing that, that back up. So it's just BS. Right. Uh, so what the system deviously does is it takes a, a temperature of the, of the public uh, mood at all times, right? Um, so in 2008, when everything was going to collapse, the temperature of the, of, of, the, of the public mood was, well, we needed something, a radical change. What more radical change can we get than electing the first African-American president? Yeah. So they, they, that BS was forced upon us. They gave us a, a dream and we fell for it. And I know Trump supporters are going to be like, oh, I never fell for that. Except you fell for Trump. So whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I just had a, my last guest, we were talking a little bit about Trump and he said, you know, if the globalists didn't want Trump, then the media would have treated him like Bernie Sanders or they would have treated him like Ron Paul, which they right. wouldn't have mentioned him at all. Instead, they were forcing him down our throats they were putting trump everything was trump right, even right. if it was bad press right. you know they were yep. they gave him like billion dollars worth of free coverage right if, and plus, if they didn't want him you wait, know? Right. Well, not, not only that i mean i don't mean okay so, so look if there's this thing that i've noticed about our government right is this there's a cyclical change so if you look back throughout the, just the past 30 40 years right there's one person that's in power then four four eight years usually eight years later you have somebody that's complete antithetic, like complete opposite of that person. So let, let's go back to um, to, uh, to Bush. Bush, an elder Bush, uh, you know, quote unquote conservative, uh, been with his wife for a long time. You know, right. And then who do we have? Slick Willie, right? <laughs> so we get, we get Bill Clinton, younger, philanderer, slick talking, where, where Bush was cold and undetached. Bill Clinton was feeling and warm and, and he, Oh, feel my pain, America. You know, all that BS, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> so after eight years of that prick, yeah. <laughs> after eight years of him, then we get, who do we get? We get somebody the complete opposite. Back to, to cyclical change. We get another Bush uh, that that's not, that is not uh, slick talking at all. Right. He mangles the language. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so a complete opposite, right? Eight years of Bush. Who do we get? The complete opposite of Bush. Obama. Eloquent, you know, cool, calm, collected, the anti-Bush. After right. President Obama, who do we get? Trump. The anti it's like somebody, it's not by the way, it's not conspiratorial to, to think of these things. If you're planning, if you if you want to, if you're uh, the head of a town, if you're a mayor, and you want that town to be complete uh, continuously in the blind, you could implement various you know, uh, people at various uh, uh, entities to make sure that the agenda is always to to to, to create a sense of agitation within the uh, within just that small set of community. So that if you mm -hmm. imagine, if you have trillions, if you are, if you're a central banker, you you have access to trillions in wealth, 
and you're able to make people do whatever you whatever you want. And then you can select a Trump. You can select these various you know uh, uh, personalities, and we still focus on personalities that we're not seeing the underlying policies never change. Right. Well, you know what's what's even more amazing, like you describe, every eight years we're we're flip flopping back and forth from from two totally different perspectives and the congress is doing the same thing the people are electing you know oh we'll elect all republicans oh my god these guys are idiots let's elect all democrats you know oh my god they're not doing anything but you can draw a straight line in terms of the globalist policies the globalist policies are being implemented by bush then clinton then bush then you know obama now trump they're all doing the same thing it's same thing it's outrageous yeah and and to me look if you I wrote something a, a while ago about, uh, I don't know, I wrote this like in a, this is not really a satire, it was just more like, what if? Because I was thinking back to the War of 1812, like, British came into America, burned down the White House, you know, Dolly Madison had to save pace with the White House. And I was like, how's the war not over at that point? If you're burning down the White House, how is the <laughs> war not over at that point? I was like, what are the British cunningly actually did win and made us feel like we we won. Ah, now I write I write that within like taking artistic license to kind of but not the more I think about it though, it's not really Wall Street that's the head of the uh the financial district of the world. It's still London. So yeah. you had to go back and, and connect the dots who controls the capital. Whoever controls capital controls nation's capitals. Mm-hmm. So America doesn't really have sovereignty. Every our politicians are beholden to whoever has money. You know, they every every two years they have these big meetings in, in, in either in Europe at Davos. Uh, they have them in Seattle a lot, and you know you see a lot of the anti-globals come out at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then these leaders go hand in hand. They they're told what to do. You know, so yeah, it's the the. The the common uh, glue to all this is the fact that we're 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 we've been spun into a world of of central banks, and so if we don't find a way to decentralize power, then it's going to get worse. And this, yeah. you know, they said it a long time ago. Uh, the the new world order, they have it on a, on the dollar bill. NWO is on the back of it. Nova Secular, you know, and yeah. that's yeah. enough. That's what they're doing, and it's just it's disheartening unless. We wake up to it. These type of things are going to get worse, not better. Yeah, I mean, you talk a lot in your work, and I think this is another. I mean, not only I think is it a big step for people to take when they start to understand that everything's tied together with the central banks and how the central banks work, but when it comes to foreign policy, and because like your recent article about Africa, um, you really recognize that colonialism hasn't ended you you know that that this is still i mean uh, like you were talking about i mean i think frankly you know maybe not politically but economically the british commonwealth is still alive and kicking you know the queen is making money off of our you know resources in the united states and canada and i mean these corp because they're these same transnational corporations have been working for her ever since they took over the you know she's created the colonies in the first place yeah she i (laughs) believe she's the wealthiest person in the world that's not jeff bezos right i mean jeff bezos has a hundred billion he can't touch (laughs) <laughs> the Queen of England's money, <laughs> like, uh, 
there's certain people that will never know how, how much money they have. The Rothschilds will never know how much money they have because yeah. they own all the money, right? Yeah, right. When you <laughs> own the telling. money, the, every money in the world is yours if you're able to uh, to manipulate <laughs> right, right. the currencies. So <laughs> I don't know. Like it's just sometimes I feel like is it even worth it to just talk about these things because I, unless I feel like unless there's a big catalyst, and usually these big catalysts that 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 take place are usually tragic. And yeah. so I'm like, ew, night. Not even 1929, the crash of 1929. That should have been the big catalyst that 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 severed the the the, the control that these uh, you know tycoons have over America, the, the J.P. Mm. Morgans and the Carnegies and the Rockefellers. Except they they got their way. <laughs> FDR yeah. came in saying he's going to change America, just like Obama did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and then he's told him he gave a speech. By the way, he gave a speech. To uh, the Wall Street, FDR did and said, "I'm the uh, the guy. I'm the uh, that's oh no, uh, that's standing between you and the pitchforks." And then Obama, <laughs> eighty years later, said the same thing. Yeah, right. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I guess what I hope is this. Uh, what I, what I write about it's it's a hope that we uh, we uh, we wake up to these things. Because they seem very uh, genius, but they're not. It's just they're very. It's, it's, I think it was uh, the movie uh, Usual Suspects. Uh, Kaiser Sosa said the devil, mm-hmm. uh, the greatest right. trick that the devil ever committed was then convincing the world he doesn't exist. Right. So the, the the greatest trick that they're doing is convincing us that these things don't exist. They ex- and they're, they're hiding in plain sight. And, and I'm talking yeah. about. The, the way that they're they're manipulating us to, to to fight each other, the way that they're using our identity politics. And so if you pause as he's doing the things that he's doing, if you uh, reflect upon it, then you realize that they're they're just using us. And so stop being used. Yeah, I mean, you know, people just I don't even know what it's gonna take. They've got to kind of wake up. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing, and that's why you know I like to interview people like yourself and other independent journalists because, uh, I mean, this is the only way to get the word out, right. and you've, we've got to start convincing people to stop listening to this mainstream media. Um, it it really is. It's like poisoning people's minds, and then they can't think clearly, and they don't understand just how badly they're being taken advantage of. Uh, and you know, the other thing is that we're we're not allowed to have conversations about real solutions. Right. You know, the mainstream media is like, it's like creating this false reality, and then it's creating these false problems and and false solutions, and we're all talking about all of this, you know, nonsense that's mm-hmm. going to get us nowhere, and uh, only in the alternative media are we actually sitting down and saying, hey, because there are solutions out there. Right. I mean, right. we can we can figure it out if we put our heads together, right. you know, yeah. it doesn't yeah. have to be like this, you know? People should be rich. I mean, like you're talking about the these people who are so rich that we'll never even know how rich they are. You know, let's get that money back from those right. people, and, and then we'll all be fine. We don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. You know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. And by the way, you know, um, I, there was something that you said just, just a few seconds ago. I was just about I was about to t- touch upon, but my mind just blanked out on me. <laughs> but no, you know, you there's 
the sad the sad thing is is that this system of capitalism. <laughs> by the way, me saying this, me me speaking out against capitalism, does not make me a communist. Yeah, yeah. we've been so trained to think left right or like through binaries. It's like one and zero. We're not communists. Right. We can actually think beyond two options. Yeah. You know, but um, you know, the system of capitalism requires scarcity. Like scarcity to be created. So there's yeah, companies yeah. like De Beers that that ha- they house vaults of so much diamond throughout the world. So at any point, if they feel like there's a, com- a, com- a competition coming, they they flood the markets with diamonds and drive people out of com- uh, out of business, and then you know, and then stifle the 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 uh, the, the you know the <clears throat> the amount of uh, inventory of uh, diamonds to to drive the uh, the the price of uh, diamonds back up again. As mm. companies do this everywhere. And so poverty at that point is becomes an intentional creation. It's not an accident. Uh, and, you know, these these people that go around like the Clinton Global Initiative and, and you know, uh, Gates, they're, they're complete. They're, they create the problem, like you said. And then on the back end, they try to pretend like they're the, the, the saving, uh, the saviors. They're the mm-hmm. devils and the de- uh, saviors at the same time. So they're the devils because they're the ones creating this. Somebody, if I come up to you and I kneecap you and I give you a crutch, yeah. you should not get a Nobel Peace Prize for that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, except that's what's going on. They this a bunch of philanthropists are kneecapping people and then giving crutches and saying, Oh, look at and then they get rewarded. Right. So um, you know, and, and I think uh if to to depend on corporate media to speak these truths is impossible because they're getting paid by these very people that they're supposed to be speaking against. Uh, so, you know, the, 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 the onus is on people that's not beholden to corporatism, uh, people right. like us. And so we, we will never be like the size of the Washington Post and the CNN. Uh, but what we can do, though, is by working together, you know, there's a saying in Ethiopia that uh, a thousand spiders can tie up a lion. Um, if a thousand independent voices can match the scope and scale of the Washington Post. We just had to figure out a way to link our voices together. So that's why I'm yeah. be, you know, gladly doing this interview. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely love it, man. I mean, I think this is where it's at. It's so 100% true. People starting to wake up to what's really happening, and then all of us have to work together to start spreading the word out there, and then we can. I mean, what you're talking about, it reminds me, well, I'm reminded of the idea of too big to fail. I mean, that's what this government, corporate, collusion is really doing it's creating these businesses that are so big you know if it wasn't for the government that gave millions of dollars hundreds of billions of dollars worth of military contracts to these corporations then those corporations get so big that they can do exactly what you're talking about whatever industry they're in they can just flood the market they can lose a couple million dollars for a few weeks drive all the little guys out of business you know and then all of a sudden the price shoots way up and they've created, like you're talking about, this artificial scarcity. I just heard, I think Coke and Nestle are angling for like the second largest reservoir in the world in South America yeah, right Brazil. now. Because yeah. they're, they're yeah. actually making water scarce so that right. they can, you know, it's like, what? What's yeah. next? Air? How are they going to do that with oxygen? You oh, know, that, they're they're we working keep this on up. it. Yeah, we keep yeah, this yeah. up. <laughs> it's going to be air sponsored by Sprite or some BS yeah. like that, you know? It just sucks. You know, there, there was a documentary that I saw where Toyota, uh, I believe it was Toyota, uh, they, they were doing studies at the break-even point. 
right? So, like, how many faulty breaks can they abide uh, in terms of how, how many lawsuits versus their profit margin? And uh, what's the break-even point? And anything up to that point, they're able to say, okay, we, we, we could, we could, you know, let ten percent of the five percent of the cars, two percent of the cars have faulty brakes, and all these things. They, so, in other words, they're intentionally committing some people to their death in order yeah. to maximize their profit. Right. <laughs> and this is the perverse nature. I really believe corporate is corporations. Corporations are the enemy of humanity. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, because they, as long as the incentive structure is profit above people, then you, you have a company like Coke that's trying to monopolize people's water sources. You have, you know, companies like Boeing and, and Northrop Grumman that are, uh, you know, lobbying for more wars and destroying nations like Syria and Libya, all to keep perpetuating their profits. And, mm. it's, and we pay for it too in America, because if you go out to your nearest city, I've never seen so many so much homelessness in my life, ever. I'm not just saying that because I was homeless for a while. I've never seen it. Like I was driving through McLean recently. McLean in Virginia is like the Malibu of Virginia. It's filthy paint, you know. And that's where all the um, so I used to work in McLean actually too. The irony of it all. Um, that's where all the defense consulting companies are located. Uh, Tyson's Corner. Let's just. There's more money there than, than you're able to count. But in that same area, I started seeing homeless people. Homelessness is pervasive in McLean. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to see it in D.C. And I'm not saying that we should accept it in D.C., but to see it in McLean is like a stark reminder. This country is becoming a, a, a nation, a, a, two nations, one reserved. It's like one nation of Switzerland for the rich and another nation of, I don't want to like insult another country. Or you've got Greece or, you know, these countries that are definitely on the bottom of the European. You know, I mean, there's, there's more that right suffer, now. you know, like, and yeah. by the way, like I was, back in the day, I used to say like Somalia. And I'm not saying that to, to diminish Somalia, but that Somalia, Somalia is at, at, the, at the, the bottom end of the, of the toothpaste tube, right? We're all going to get there. <laughs> because yeah, right. the system depends on squeezing from the bottom up, so the new the the, the new normal is going to be Mogadishu for America too. So just uh, be careful about these things because what happens overseas is going to come right here too. Yeah, that's really something to think about. Actually, I mean, there's no question about it. And we, I mean, certainly in my lifetime, we've just been watching it happen. The 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 greater the separation of and you basically you have to either buy into the system get the corporate job you know get the education they want think like they're telling you to think work for them right. and then they give you a big enough piece of the pie that at least you can afford you know a nice house and some cars and maybe send your kid to college but if you don't want to get the corporate job and you don't you know and you don't want to tow their line right. well you're living paycheck to paycheck if you're if you're lucky yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. and uh, by the way even the corporate job <laughs> I, yeah. I, I worked for uh, eight years, close to eight years at Booz Allen Hamilton. And before that, I was a sprint uh, on the government systems division side. So 16 years, uh, effectively close to 16 years. Uh, after 2000, every year, I was scared that I was going to lose my job. There is right. no, there, there is, I don't care what what type of job you have in corporate America. All of us feel the the, the heat of, of well, what if I lose my job, right? Because, and by the way, part of it too, when a big shot comes in to your a corporate cubicle and says, 
we need to get rid of this uh, effic- inefficiencies. They're talking about you. Yeah. Inefficiency. Because <laughs> the inefficiency means we need more or, or the opposite of that. We need to increase productivity. That means they're going to let go of somebody and make you do more work. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and so this is, again, oh. the pervasive uh, incentive structure of, of, of maximizing profits. If a company, if, I, if I'm a private uh, owner, right, and I'm making 20%, I'm happy with that. 20% profit is not is actually really good. If I'm a corporation, 20% today, I better make 21% tomorrow. Right, mm. the incentive structure is to keep making more money. There, there is no happiness because shareholders demand more and more money. It's greed, it's institutionalized greed, and it's destroying the planet. Corporations are the enemy of humanity, and so if we don't get rid of somehow, uh, I'm not saying through uh, government or di- dictate, but through uh, individual decisions that we make as consumers, stop. You know, it doesn't have to be cold turkey, by the way. Instead of going to Starbucks, if you go to Starbucks 10 times a week, go five times a week to a small coffee shop and and and, and starve the beast that way. And and but by doing that, by doing it incrementally, that means as, as corporations start to, if they ever, this is pie in the sky thinking, but if corporations start to fail, small businesses will start, that is the, the essence of what capitalism is supposed to be about. As businesses mm. fail, the other ones are supposed to come out and fill the vacuum. Fill the vacuum with small businesses. If not, that noose is around our next. Yeah, I did a I did an interview a few months back with this guy Paul Cienfuegos, who runs uh, this this website communityrights.us, and it's about the community rights movement trying to get uh, local communities to pass laws, like on the city level, right? To say, you know, we have the right to our resources here, and corporations and this federal government can't come in here and take our stuff, you know? Mm, mm. <laughs> um, but he has this whole thing about the history of corporations. And of course, as you can imagine, it's completely tied into uh, the old European aristocracy. The yep. first corporations were about... Um, trading between kings so it's this whole monarchy okay. the east yeah. india company it's the it's the old monarchy that we fought a revolution against to get okay. out from under the boot of you know of the, the east india company and these other uh you know corporations sponsored by the monarchies mm-hmm. and yet somehow we live under this corporate system which the lineage goes right back to that you know so never so, t- t- there might be something to this 1812 theory of <laughs> <laughs> I think there is. I actually really do. I think that, you know, there were some revolutions, but, you know, the thing about it is this old European money, this colonial money, they're just smart. They've been doing this right. for 2,000 yeah. years, right. you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, oh, by, oh, the, 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 by the way, so the, 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 you said earlier about how, you know, uh, about colonialism never went. It didn't go away, right? Yes. It just became smarter about it. So yeah. in, the, in the 1800s, it was, uh, you know, like I said, Sheer, through, through sheer force, guns, boots on quote unquote boots on the ground, and you just terrorize people into submission. Then they realize in the age of information, uh, this is not sustainable. People are not going to abide. You know, a uh, hundred thousand people being killed in order, and driven into submission. So they said, hey, "What people to do this?" So we'll we'll pop up one tribe. Uh, we'll, we'll continuously destabilize uh, nations and then and, and then tell the, the tribe that's empowered, you, you either give us your money 
or the next tribe will come into power, right? Mm -hmm. So colonialism became about extortion and destabilization. That's how they're doing it right now in Africa. They're doing the same thing to us, you know? And by the way, they they did it to Britain too. Uh, The uh, people in England said, we don't want to be a part of Brexit anymore. I mean, uh, of the EU, and they, they voted for Brexit. Immediately, they kneecapped their economy, and the British pound plummeted. Yeah. Right? Now, so they're still negotiating. The people voted, and they still haven't gotten good. This is it's unbelievable. I can't. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that gets back to that article that you wrote about uh, d- democracy, the farce of representative democracy. The ballot is the bullet. I right. mean, it's like we're voting, but. What's changing? You know, like what's going on? You know, everybody shows up at the Democratic primary and votes for Bernie Sanders, but there's no Bernie going on. You know, I mean, it's just this is it's almost spiritual. Like, I I don't I don't like to talk like inject my faith into these things because I just like to keep that to myself. Yeah. Yeah. It just reminds me of people that used to go around. The Jews like, oh, we want to we want a leader. We want a leader. Like, be careful. And then they got yeah. Saul, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, right. And so democracy in this way has become our egos. Instead of of of, of uh, voting, uh, not even voting. Instead of having leaders that will serve us, they give us this pretend control, and our egos uh, is driven by uh, ideology and uh, you know viewing politics as a sport. So as long as our team is in power, we we say nothing, even mm-hmm. though we get stepped on. And and then our team loses, and then we all we want change. We want. It's, I can't. I can't understand how something. By the way, I can't understand because I fell for it too. I wasn't right. part of it. Uh, if I told you what I did in two thousand and eight uh, to to you know for the Obama campaign in terms of the sheer amount of of energy I expended, uh, I went to I think final count was like sixteen states. Uh, wow. You know, uh, on my own money, I wasn't even a staffer. That's one thing if I was getting paid. As yeah. a volunteer, I went to 16 states. Uh, I was part of uh, Ethiopians for Obama, Omegas for Obama, Veterans for Obama, Muslims for Obama, Latinos for Obama. I was writing stuff behind, you know, behind the scenes. Uh, when when uh, Latinos for Obama wanted something, it was, I would do it. When uh, you know, it's just it was never ending. I drove myself into complete depression and anxiety. By the time mm-hmm. September came around. I couldn't even breathe. Like I felt like my like my life was about to crumble. Because I, I I left everything aside to focus on getting the first black president, president, you know, elected. Yeah, yeah. You know, to the point where I was invited to the inauguration, didn't go. You know, I was like literally, I was bet like I was on the I was on the couch, just depressed and spent, exhausted, physically, mentally, spiritually. For what? For what? To get a man that's good, that came in and gave away fifteen trillion dollars to Wall Street and gave the middle finger to the same people that voted for him, the, to the same people that supported him, he used the pains of African Americans to, to 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 get himself elected and didn't do anything for either African Americans or anybody else. Mm-hmm. This is the biggest fraud I've ever seen in my life. What he did, and uh, you know, I, I hope history judges him accordingly uh, because. Uh, Con artists. That's all I can say. Seriously, and I, I, I get passionate about these things. He's no different than anybody else. He's no different than Bush. He's no different than Clinton. Uh, but still, there's a special type of malice 
in in in, in taking the pains of people and using it to to prop yourself up. So, right. Well, let's get into a little bit since you kind of started talking about the story. I, I did want to hear more about your you know your personal story and and wh- why and how you made that transition. I mean, what was it like? What were you doing working for Booz Allen Hamilton? And then how did that happen? You know, what woke you up to the, just the lunacy of it all, you know, and now you're walking this totally different path. I mean, you went all the way down, you know, you were yeah. literally homeless for a, for a couple of years just to have that experience. You know, like I said in the intro, I think, and then when I read the stuff that you're putting out now, when you mention it, you know, you talk about how good it was to have that experience because it did, like, it brought in some wisdom and some understanding that you wouldn't have if you were still just working the rat race, you know? So mm-hmm. so let's hear a little bit more about that. Sure. So, you know, for, like I said, for close to 16 years, I work, I was working in corporate America. Uh, I was never, by the way, I was never f- fulfilled. Uh, in fact, part of the reason I'm kind of thankful I went through the things I went through is because it gave me an ability to, uh, to see things outside of just my own ego. Because uh, mm-hmm. I was very driven to succeed. Uh, very driven to keep making more money. Uh, you know, I, I went to school at George Mason, got my MBA from Johns Hopkins, uh, had have all kinds of credentials to my name. Uh, and then 2008 came around. And that, that was initially, that was my spark uh, where I got really involved in the Obama campaign. Um, and then, you know, and then after that point, I'm still working in corporate America for a while. 2014 comes around and I'm kind of like just fast forwarding through my life. But uh, 2014 comes around. Right I, I, the contract that I was on, we lost it. Uh, so, I, you know, I had 30 days to find the position of Booz Allen and didn't work out so well. Uh, so for the first couple of months, um, I, I felt the pressure to get back immediately into uh, into the corporate world. And then I, I made a mistake and looked at my 401k and I was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going yeah. to just have a good time. So, I lived a life of very, uh, I lived a very carefree life for almost a year. <laughs> and then I decided I'm going to open up a business. The wrong business. Yeah. The wrong business, wrong, wrong people to invest with. Uh, and so uh, I realized how, how, how quick life could unravel when you don't have a cash stream and when you go burn through your money. Right. So, wow. Uh, I literally like I, I went from my, I was uh, living in an apartment uh, that was that was that the rent was twenty one hundred dollars a month in Falls Church, Virginia, and yeah. then from there I like I ended up leaving uh, Virginia altogether and went to South Carolina, and uh, yeah I hit the pavements, <laughs> not walking, sleeping, yeah. <laughs> you know like I, and I, I couldn't you know there, there's other aspects of of my story that I've decided like. Got not to get too preachy about it, but I, I just gave it to God because there's certain things that happen, um, which if you try to get vindication, it doesn't, it just won't end well, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm, uh, sure. And plus that, that would, it would have been about my ego. Um, so there's, a, I remember at one point I was, um, I was like, I, I really got hurt in South Carolina. My, I had a, a knee infection and I was hospitalized for like seven days and I was the only thing I had at that point was I was reading the Bible a lot. And um, I read the, the, this book of, of Jonah about, like, you know, he got swallowed by the well. So, you know, that whole, I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying. But I just remember at the very end, his, his anger, like, why did this happen to me? And I was like, wow, that's me. 
I felt like, what, why, why did that, how did this happen to me? You know, but then I realized uh, within that and with different experiences throughout that, that that was my ego speaking. And that if I was going to become bitter and make it about me, and if I don't find a way to find redemption through this process and and make it about other people uh, that I was going to get sunk, because I've seen people that are sunk. Uh, when, when, you know, tragedies happen to all of us and we have a choice at that point to, to either be thankful or to be better. And once you become better, that is a life changer. Uh, and so I chose somehow, and honestly, I'm not saying it wasn't hard because I really, at some point I, I ended up going to New York and then before I moved to Colorado to go to this place called Harvest Farm, it's a community farm. I lived there for like 13 months for free, mm-hmm. I, but I was also not making no money. But I, it was to be honest with you. Like at some point, the, the we were getting a stipend of seven dollars uh, a week. So as to be, a, I was a cook on the farm. I was making seven dollars a week. I, I I found more joy in that than I, when I was making my last paycheck at Booz Allen was ninety nine thousand five hundred fifty five dollars a year. Yeah. Uh, so I, if it, like if you add in all the you know bonuses, I, I I was over six figures. But for me, that by the way, I say these things because that's the old me was pissed. Why can't they give me six? I want to be at a hundred, and I used to get livid about that, like livid, and and I would get a, a pay raise of like three percent, four percent, which translates to four thousand dollars a year and extra money. Livid. For two years, I didn't make four thousand dollars. For two years, I, I made maybe uh, for one year alone, I might have made maybe two hundred dollars for the whole year. Right. <laughs> that was my Starbucks money for a week, and you know, like <laughs> when right. I was in. But I found a uh, purpose throughout this whole. And really, what broke my heart is that I, I saw how humanity suffers. Because no matter how bad I had it, I, I, I saw people that had it so much worse than me. You know, people that have physical illnesses, uh, mental illnesses, people that lost their children. Um, and I remember, like, for me, what really changed my, my mind about the whole black and white thing. Mm-hmm. I was uh, staying in the Greenville Mission. And one day I woke up, there was this little girl, I believe her name was Sam. Uh, and... Um, she, you know, she was quote unquote white. I always put quote unquote because it's just I see them as so asinine. But uh, she was a white girl, seven years old, and she's living in a shelter. And like I remember the first time I saw her, I cried. Mm-hmm. And like I was actually, I cursed God at that point to be honest initially. I was like, wow, this is it's one thing for me to be here because these are stupid decisions that I made, you know, contrib- that contributed to uh, to my to my uh, station in life. But why her? But then, like, I saw the other side of it, which is, you know what? How am I sort of going to sit up here and talk about white privilege or talk about, you know, white people are doing this? Well, she's there. And if she's there, that means there's, throughout this nation, there's countless amounts. And that's not, that doesn't diminish my pain. Me acknowledging that a quote-unquote white person is going through something does not mean that I'm not going through something. So there has to be a way to tell our stories uh, through uh, us as opposed to I and you don't matter, you know? Um, yeah. So that's uh, that's when I uh, started to, to, to focus on the commonality of our pains. And um, I started writing again. And it was my writing that took me out of my depression, to be honest. Uh, and then things happened. And so, you know, the, the redemption story, I ended up meeting my fiance and the message is being written. So think good things are happening now. 
It's not yeah, that's as, great. You know, it's not like it was before, but you know, life is still has its challenges. But uh, it's, it's, I'm I'm in a, in a blessed place. I went I wouldn't trade anything. Not even the hardship that I went through for the past two years. I wouldn't t- change anything about it. Well, I mean, it's just it's interesting to think about because I think, I mean, for all of us, I mean, I, you know, I have my story is different, but it's, I, you know, still my own personal, when you are become disillusioned with the system and what you've been, I mean, you know, I was raised in it too. And then you get trapped inside of it. And sometimes it does take a pretty big event. Uh, And it's certainly, it's usually not a very happy feeling, you know, when you find out that, like you've been taken, you know, right. Uh, and it does feel better to be on the other side where at least you know that you're doing good work now and you have a, a bigger awareness of what's really going on, even uh, no matter how much money they throw at you or, you know, how how easier, how much easier, I guess, it is to be able to get through life just following along with, you know, what you're supposed to be doing and what everybody else is doing. Mm. By the way, I, I don't mean to to say this, to vilify people that are working in corporate America, right? Uh, look, uh, the, the truth of it is, this broadcast is dependent on Google or <laughs> Skype, and so all these the MSN. Right. Or, so we're all beholden to this to this uh, to this big beast. So I, I I'm not trying to say that. Oh, if you work at a bank, that means you're an a hole. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like to think that if we got here, if it took us forever to get to this point, it's not going to unravel in one day. Uh, it's incremental steps, uh, and so we make small decisions. And so, you know, I know that uh, the the on Journal is dependent on uh, on Facebook, for example, to uh, to to reach an audience, uh, on Google to reach an audience, uh, on GoDaddy, which is a corporation that's hosting that, you know. But uh, I like to think over time, you know, as we we take steps away from it, that there might be a, a, other alternatives. There might be a, a non corporate alternative. So we work for that day. We don't, uh, you know, we don't try to attain perfection immediately we just work towards perfection and, and hopefully perfect our nation and ourselves over time even if we never get there within our lifetime yeah it is interesting i mean i read your recent article about um uh, about the way that independent media is starting to get more and more censored and even with what do you think about this i, I kind of wanted to bring this up with you because i mean you know we get it we're in alternative media and it's everybody has to kind of choose how far out they want to go we've had this recent florida shooting uh, where and and I think it's a testament. No matter where you fit into this, f- f- was it a false flag? Was it not? Whatever people. Right. But the fact that so many people are talking about it does show that a lot of people seriously distrust the mainstream mm. media. Mm. You know, a lot of people are starting to be like, "Man, maybe maybe that this didn't really happen. Maybe it's all yeah. fake." You yeah. know, and if a lot of if enough people are thinking like that, that these videos are going viral on YouTube, and YouTube has to take them down. I mean that says something in and of itself without even getting into the details of it. Um, but where do you stand right now, trying to disseminate this information and you know using Google and Facebook and YouTube, but watching the censorship just get more and more? I tie tie it back into the Russian thing. They're using the Russia thing as this excuse to shut us all down. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's funny because I wrote I wrote about this exact topic today um, because uh, there was an, an article that I wrote about uh, Ethiopia and Haiti and, and the common link between two people that rose up and, and overthrew their oppressors. And so I didn't write this in a, it was black versus white. There was no hint of, of incendiary language. There was no hint of left-right divide. I wrote this uh, oppressed versus the oppressor. And 
not in a way that is, is pervasive in our time. And then I, I, I uh, decided to buy an ad on Facebook for it, you know, and it got rejected. Wow. And the rejection notice was, was against community standards. What, what community standards? Well, I've seen some of the most despicable things on Facebook. Despicable yeah. <laughs> things. I mean, sexual, sexual perverted, perverted stuff. Uh, hate, hate speech. Out, out, and outright hate speech coming from Fox News and MSNBC. But right. that, that's allowed. And then something that writes about people uniting, unity, and taking on uh, their their oppressors, and not in a in a in a way that's you know through a, a racial uh, a blindness, but really from a human perspective, and it gets rejected. And so this is uh, you said something a few seconds ago about people are questioning uh, the narratives. Except, like I said, the the I don't know what what to call it. The establishment, the system, is smarter than us because part of uh, of um, they're more cunning. I take it back because they're also you know, empower uh, people. I don't trust, to be honest with you, I don't trust InfoWars, for example, from my right. perspective. Sure. Uh, because they have too much of a following and they're dependent on the... And, and so I feel as though they, their, their role is to inject, uh, uh, you know, skepticism and to inject conspiracy theory so that people that try to see truth are lumped in with the rest. And so mm-hmm. now if I say something that might be similar to what InfoWars is saying, oh, he's an InfoWars guy, you know? Right. And so it's various, like even go back to the JFK uh, assassination and how the CIA came up with the whole notion of conspiracy theory. Right? Absolutely. Uh, and so you, you, you perpetuate uh, or you propagate all these demagogues and you give them airtime to speak nonsense. And so a thousand liars very the few who are telling the truth. And so it gets to be challenging because the intercept, I thought they were corporate media, I mean, uh, independent media. And then I realized yeah. they're just, they're di- shows of the DNC. They, they always present everything through the left-right divide and they never criticize the, uh, the, the, the Democrats. They're always going after, and I was like, so you have to be very discerning. And for me, the way I see it is this. There's two ways to separate the frauds from the real, as far as I'm concerned. Or at least, you know, not saying people like us are truth tellers. We're just mm-hmm. looking for truth. We don't know the truth. Nobody knows the truth. But at least we're not lying, right? We're, right. We're, in our flawed ways, we're trying to find truth and wherever it may exist. But then there are people that, that explicitly lie uh, by, by, by commission. And so the way to separate them, as far as I'm concerned, it used to be that I said anyone that takes corporate money. And I said, there's mm-hmm. people that do ad spaces. So so then one way is, in a way, I still stand by that, which is if you take corporate money through ad revenue, kind of red flag number one. But within that red flag, the, you might still be a, a, at least some somewhat of a truth teller or attempting to be. Uh, but then the second one is if mainstream media gives you access, then immediately discount them as fronts. Because they will ignore the ones people that are actually attempting to be bridge builders will get silence forever, the silent treatment forever. Right. And if they do garner enough of following, by the way, then the opposite happens. They get silenced by other means. Um, so the people that you see on MSNBC being quartered in Washington Post, 
being quoted in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, frauds, every one of them, because yeah. <laughs> they're there to perpetuate the status quo, not to challenge it. So I, I like to think that the audience, the consumers of this information, have to be discerning and say, okay, how does this jive to, uh, what's their motive behind uh, what they're telling us? So question not only the content, but the motive of the content, uh, the, the, the person that's providing the content as well. Yeah, that's for sure. And that, and I, I can't agree with you more about that either. And that the longer I do this program and the more people like you that I'm interviewing and really looking into this stuff, the more I'm really realizing that the mainstream media is devastating to the people that they are. It's not just that like they're bad at what they do or they're, they're skipping over the point. It's like, you're saying they ignore the people that are actually speaking truth to power. I mean, they're, it's like a narcissistic bully or something. They're forcing, you know, they're, they're passive aggressively forcing, uh, you know, out the people that are having real conversations that could really help people. And then they're manufacturing these conversations that have nothing to do with what's really going on and trying to turn things into a big deal that have, that do nothing else but divide us yep. so that we won't work together. Yeah. It's sad. And, and, but again, it goes back to the, the, the monetization of news because when you monetize it and, and your, your objective is, Okay, you have your, your demographic, and, you, uh, and through these demographics, you, you could drive, uh, drive up your your your, your uh, you know top and bottom uh, re- revenue, and that's all you care about. And you want to. By the way, we're all subjected to this. You know, um, you know, if 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 any if I start taking, okay, let me just explain explain it this way. When I first started writing the Gear Journal, uh, I was really writing with with without abandon, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm hoping, you know, I question myself a lot. I'm very introspective. Uh, I, I'm hoping that the reason that I've tamed, not tamed, but I'm a lot more d- introspective in my, in my writing these days and, and, and not quite as, uh, as fiery as what I wa- once was, is because I'm learning to, uh, to, to, you know, to, to tame my craft and, and to hone it and to become less, uh, you know, Less of a rhetorical fire breather, right? And, mm-hmm. and and to focus more on the on the message of what I'm trying to say. But I wonder too sometimes, is it because I'm I'm trying to cater towards this audience that I, that I'm building up, right? So and this is you know getting a thousand hits a day. Imagine if I'm getting a million hits a day. That this is the the, the corrosive power of of influence of money, of you know. And so right now I'm I'm you know I'm getting and not a, a lot of support from from our audience members in terms of you know uh, uh, them donating uh, through either Patreon or through uh, through our website. I wonder if I too will be corrupted by this. So you know, it's just hard. Um, sometimes I don't blame journalists for what they're doing because this is the the, the nature of humanity. I think. And so the way to to really uh, uh, mitigate for this is to spread the power out as much as possible. And uh, in the same way with, you know, uh, why I'm against corporatism, uh, because corporations exist to monopolize markets and to eradicate competition. The best way to, to, to account for that is by spreading out uh, the opportunity and the, by, by spreading out the resources. You've got to do the same thing with information as well. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, you, as you say that, I'm thinking about how libertarians really are, you know, whether you're a libertarian or you're a socialist, you're against corporations. And, right, and right. that's where the left-right paradigm really is, it, it doesn't, I mean, it, it doesn't function. The mainstream media tries to separate us out, um, but they don't actually do a good job of describing who we really are. And, and they're they're sort of forcing us into these cubby holes where we can be divided. Right. Um, but I mean, like you're talking, you can be against corporations and still be for small business. And then this right, suddenly course. that just transforms the left, right paradigm. You're not even talking. Right, I mean, right. that's just the thing about the mainstream media narrative is like the narrative actually doesn't really make sense. Except and it does for them, right? Because they, by the way, well, this it is works why, for them for sure. Yeah, yeah. This is why you'll never be invited to Fox News or MSNBC. They don't, right. they, they don't want you to say that. What you just said is perfect. It makes too much sense. Right. By the way, it's not just libertarians and socialists that believe this. I really believe that even li- uh, liberals and conservatives, progressives and and uh, you know conservatives, if you, it's all about the messaging. If you go up to conservatives and say, "Hey, do you want more money and 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 power to be within your community, and for, right. for you know, and, and for for small businesses to be empowered?" They'll say yes, right? Yeah. That same message you go to a liberal and say, "Hey, do you want?" More, uh, more money and, and resources in your community so that people can make individual choices as opposed to being dictated. And this transcends all political spectrums. Right. It's, but then if you are an a-hole and you say, hey, conservatives, do you think that communism, right, is you just sure. use these key words, then that's when they, they, they start being divided. And, and, and that's how they do it because uh, instead of focusing on, on what we all have in common, they throw out these red meat, and the red meat serves to to uh, to shatter us and to 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 make us see each other as enemies. And really, everyone from left to right, across all political, there's a, a common core that we all agree on. It's not fair yeah. that we don't have enough uh, resources and opportunities. Everyone agrees to that, and it's not fair that we're not able to pursue uh, our rights to property and happiness. Everyone agrees to that. You know, it's not fair to, to be being told what to do by somebody that does that. That's, you know, by somebody else. Everyone agrees to these things. There's we agree. We, right. we disagree. on <laughs> We're good. So let me just say it this way. If there's a if you look at, at, at the number of things. Right. So if there's 100 issues. Right. And 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 we might disagree on on 95 out of 100. That's not really 95% disagreement because there's the five issues that we agree on impact the other 95. So really we impact, we we agree on the five root sources. Everything else is fluff, right? So they focus on, they get us to focus on the fluff instead of the substance of what we all agree to. Yeah, that's, that's unbelievable. I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, they're constantly focusing on the fluff. And then I think the left-right paradigm is like, I mean, I find in people that it's a it's a bad habit. Like when I try to talk politics with people, I'm, I'm kind of trying to test the waters and I don't, it's almost like a trigger. Like right. if you trigger their left-right paradigm, then yeah. they're going to jump onto their team and they're going to hate the other team. That's and it's true. like, it's so difficult to have a political conversation without doing that to people, and there and I'm and I even in myself I see the old habits. Yeah. You know, like, see, me too, like me it, too. Yeah, it's yeah. such an ingrained habit that it's like God. I mean, why can't I just transcend this 
and get along with everybody because like you're saying, let's find the five things that we do agree on and let's get that work done. And then let's right. see what our community looks like, you know, after that and we can talk some more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know what though? I like to think, so there is no such thing in life as, um, what was it? The, the Buddhist one, they, they, enlightenment. There's no enlightenment. You can never, I don't care how old you get or how wise you are, there's still going to be an, I was so when I was in Colorado, I was working at the deli at Secret, right? And so one day, these two, uh, an, an old couple, walk in together. Like he must have been eighty-five, maybe she's eighty-three, right? So so I looked at him, I said, "Oh, how beautiful is that?" <laughs> right? Yeah. So at one point, she walked through. I said, hey, "I'm sorry, I have a question for you." I said, "Sure." I said, "When when did it stop? When did like when did the temptation stop for you? When when did you say this is my woman?" And that's it. He goes, "Ah." Yeah, right. I still have temptations. I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, it was a mom-locker, but he goes, I still, you would never be able to tame that beast, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> I, was totally. such, I was so blown away by what he said. But then it made <laughs> me realize, you know, that the, the quest is not, again, it's not to be, to be perfect. It's to work towards it. So, you know, part of the awakening or the enlightenment we want we will never attain enlightenment it's just part of it is to wake up to it and then say okay this is the marker and from this point forward i'm going to work towards what i want to get to and i'm going to have setbacks you know it's like if you're working out and you want to lose 80 pounds you're going to there might be a day you eat ice cream might be a yeah. day that you uh you know you slip up and and decide to have a, a six pack or whatever but ultimately as long as the arc of your life is moving towards that uh, direction and so it's the same way with all of us, I'm, I hope, is that we say, okay, pause, stop doing damage, and then try to heal from that point forward, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope more and more people can get on this. I mean, and I hope that, um, you know, I hope that with the internet and with the work of people like you, that we can continue to, like, start creating a different kind of vision for the way that people can unify. I think, I mean, in a lot of ways, like that, uh, article that you were talking about writing about Africa, I, you know, it was amazing to me to read it actually, because when you're talking about the history of Ethiopia, I, you know, that's not what I hear. You know, what I hear is there's a bunch of tribes over there and we had to go civilize them mm. or, you know, kind of the same thing with the native Americans here. You, you just don't even get the actual real history. Mm -hmm. And that's why I appreciated that article. Cause I was getting a little bit of that and realizing that there's this whole history that, you know, because the way that we've been fed this, like uh, what I would call colonized history, right, right, you right. know, this history from the colonizer's point of view where they're, you know, they're trying to pretend like they've got the best way and everybody needs to act like them or else, you know, we're just a bunch of uncivilized savages or something. Mm. Um, and there's this whole history of it. And we, you know, as truth seekers are, are having to confront this history and find the truth. Mm. But then... When we're when we're talking about what's going on today, I mean, if you want to talk about nine eleven or these other major events that even you know now that's almost twenty years in the past, we're yeah. you know we're creating a history like the mainstream media is creating a false history, and you can go back. I mean, certainly they call it yellow journalism right. in World War One, and yep. before that, I mean, yep. that was all false history too. So even a lot of people are reading writing history books now. They're citing the New York Times from 1915, right, and those right. were lies back then, you know? <laughs> you never get to truth. By the way, yeah, it's not just Africa, right? So I remember when I first went to South Carolina, and I was like, 
I'm going to South Carolina. It's going to be a daggone KKK march every every weekend yeah, right. to get myself ready for this stuff. <laughs> right? I really, seriously, like, just based on media, right? Just based sure. on uh, what was been fed to me, what I've consumed over the years. I just assumed that everyone in South Carolina was going to be eating grits for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And right. it was going to be a KKK rally every, every weekend. And so, I mean, yeah. I, I say this with a bit of a satire, but I really was expecting some type of just straight up. I got there, Greenville, South Carolina. It was one of the most progressive, beautiful places I've ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. I saw less racism there than I did in D.C. Seriously, wow. no joke. It's it's beautiful. The, 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 the harmony that I'm, I'm not saying there might be other parts of South Carolina that Greenville was like a heaven on earth to me, man. It was beautiful. In fact, I thought about for a long time about moving there. And I, I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, hopefully things work out in life. I'm going to actually buy a home there just because that's how beautiful it was. Wow. So, you know, you depend on media. It tells you a narrative of X. And then you realize when you get there, it's not like that. And so this, I say this in relation to, you know, what you thought about Africa, for example. And, you know, I don't blame you, you know, because this is the power of media. And they're able to manipulate our, our minds and condition us to, to see things that are not there and then yeah. to act upon them, you know? And this is how, uh, uh, you know, uh, this is how a malicious uh, uh, media could become. It's the most powerful weapon ever invented by mankind. It's not the atomic bomb. Uh, it's not uh, any uh, weapon that you could think of. It's media, information, the ability. The tongue has always been the most powerful weapon of mankind, of man. The tongue, the ability to communicate, uh, and and as technology add on to on top of that, uh, the ability to to manipulate information. Where uh, if we don't find a way to um, to break out of this uh, corporatization of of media, where 90 percent of the information that we consume is owned by six people, just breathtaking when you think about that. Right. You know? And when you get to one hundred percent, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> just do the whole like cross thing and kiss your kiss your booty behind because at that point they can really dictate uh, a lot of things uh, to happen. Uh, so, like I said, Ethiopia has never expected two hundred thousand to perish and for tyranny to, to to reign upon the country. Let's, let's uh, pray that doesn't happen here and uh, work towards right. that. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, I was raised to to think that Columbus discovered America, you know, and then I was probably like in my, maybe even in my 20s, you know, like in my late 20s right. before I realized how ridiculous that was right. that there were right. millions right. of people who lived here. Right. Like, what? <laughs> so, so that shows you the, the power and the assumptions that everybody makes all the time about what they think is going on. And it's based on, you know, it's funny, I always think about this because I, uh, you know, one of the few people that I know who really I, I'm interested in history, um, and I study history, but uh, uh, you know, a lot of people they don't realize how important history is because they, you know, everybody has a belief about what has happened to them and their families for the last hundred or two hundred right. years, and if that belief is really not accurate, or if that belief was fed to them even subconsciously by the you know this colonizing force by this corporate media and they're living a lie you know it's important to to really be able to go back through your history 
and know, you know, at least get as close to the truth as you possibly can or be, yeah. you know, be truth seeking when it comes to it and not let yourself be fooled. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, going back to piggyback on that, um, you know, this is dangerous at times that we live in. Uh, every war America has been involved in has always been through a pretext. Uh, so the Spanish American war, it was the sinking of, I believe it was the, the USS Maine. Mm-hmm. Harbor for World War II, uh, Gulf of Tonkin for Vietnam. Uh, you know, just the, the weapons of mass destruction for Iraq. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the first Iraq war, you know, revisionist history makes it seem like Saddam operated in a vacuum. Saddam was, uh, you know, he was the best buddy with Dick Cheney and George right. Bush. He actually gave them a heads up that he was going to invade Kuwait. They said nothing. And they, it's just, so this is media. This is the media that gets us into these wars, that uh, that manufactures these wars, because there's a, a, a profit motive. You know, CNN figured out when something goes boom in, a, in Baghdad, it means money mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. So that means death for, for Iraqis, and it means death for our veterans. It means death for people that sign up to defend this country, only to go there and, and die at the hands of an IED. Um so, uh, and by the way, these IEDs are made of bombs that were made by Boeing. I mean, yeah, you can sit up here and and blame the the people that make the bomb, but who who made who manufactured the bombs that were turned into IEDs? So these are the things that uh, corporate media doesn't talk about. Uh, and so the next war that they're trying to gin up with Russia, just think that through. What that can mean? This is not a war with a, a, a bunch of people in caves anymore. This is a, a, a war that could end all of us. Yeah. A, a missile that goes off from either from this direction there and the, or the other way sets about a cascade of missiles and then that's it. Goodbye. So, uh, you know, we argue about team politics when really it's team humanity that, that's at stake. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, We've got, you know, we're, we're, I don't know, an hour and 15 minutes into it. So I guess we should be thinking about wrapping it up. Sure. Um, I did want to ask you before you go is where, what is the name of uh, Guyon? Is that a reference to Ethiopia? Yeah. So the Guyon Journal, right? Uh, it's, uh, so the Nile River <laughs> got renamed, right? Uh, we, we've all in Ethiopia, we still to this day call it the Aba Guyon, which is the Guyon River. Okay. Uh, and if you, uh, you know, not to get biblical, <laughs> but now in the Bible, there's four gen- uh, four rivers I mentioned in the Bible, which is the uh, the Kishon, the Gion, the Euphrates, and Tigris. So that kind of gives a significance in the Bible, but then by renaming it, it becomes nothing, right? And so this is how colonizers work. They rename people, uh, they rename places, they rename people to possessions. That's how they, they when they uh, broke slaves, by the way, Remember in Roots, he said his name was Toby. So renaming is a powerful tool. The time is a powerful tool. So uh, the Guillaume Journal is, is it's paying homage to this truth of the Ethiopia, which the Guillaume River is called the Guillaume River. It's not the Nile River that some explorer from uh, from uh, Great Britain came up with. Um, so God. that became the foundation or the basis of, of trying to seek truth, not saying that I own the truth, but as you dig, as you find information to then to expose it and to speak against the lies, 
of people that that have monetized lives. Uh, so you know um, that's why you know when when I said earlier I don't know if I like the word African American for example because the whole continent uh, of Africa used to actually be called Ethiopia and mm-hmm. it got renamed to Africa after Scipio Africanus destroyed the entire continent and killed millions of people. Um, so these 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 are the lies that continue to this day. Uh, so the Guillaume Journal is is is, is, is some journey of sorts. Individual and collective, uh, to, to you know, this is why yeah, I said revolutionized news. Uh, it's the, the news is being revolutionized by hopefully by all of us questioning these things and having these conversations. That's the revolution. I'm not espousing a revolution of the bullets, but of the hearts of the mind. So uh, that's what we're about, and that's why I call it the Guillaume Journal. Yeah, that's great. That's a great story. I'm glad I asked because I I thought well, I think it's about a river, and I think it has to do with Ethiopia. But yeah. that now it totally makes sense. So uh, it's all coming together for me. Well, I really appreciate uh, your writing. You're an excellent writer, and I hope more people start to read your stuff. I mean, I've I've really been impressed. Um, it's not just uh, you know you, you've got a great vocabulary and the way you put words together, and also that you bring so much of your personal experience to what you're writing about that you can just tell that you really care about trying to uplift people, uh, and especially the message of unity above all else. I just think it's so true. I mean, like I said, I started listening to you when the racism thing, the mainstream media narrative was just promoting this. I was like, I mean, I'm not saying that racism isn't a problem or it doesn't exist, but I mean, it's not 1950 again, right? You know, can't we say that we've made some progress? And can't we, like, you can just tell when it's becoming a like this fever pitch and they just brought it up and it, yeah. I don't, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. God. <laughs> but even, by the way, even within that, so if I go to a gas station and I, I hope I don't say this to, to sound elitist, I think I, two years of going through hardship can make me say this without sounding yeah, right. elitist. <laughs> I've earned the right now. now. Yeah. <laughs> no, if a gas station attendant, for example, calls me the N-word, so he has no power over me. That's not racism. That's just ignorance and bigotry, right? right? So why even me getting upset proves to him that I am, right? And I actually, I'm I'm like, actually, no, you are because you know that you know that means ignorant, and I walk away, or even not even respond. To be honest, the remember I said how uh, the enlightenment is a process. I really should get to a point. Where I'm like, okay, right? But if not, at the very worst, instead of getting mad and and and. And, and getting, uh, you know, you know, vilifying the guys are racist. Just say, actually, you know, now racism is on a whole nother level. If I go to a bank and the banker says, no, nah, we don't take your kind. Uh, we, we don't say that is racism. So racism is a combination right. of bigotry when it's combined with the action to, 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 to impede my life, you know. So, by the way, within that same context, if I'm a boss and you're my employer and I'm like, I don't really mess with white people, in that context, I'm the racist too. You know? Right. So now, I don't say these things to, to, to diminish. There's an institutional aspect of what quote-unquote black folks go through in America that still hasn't been accounted for. And mm-hmm. to this day, I, t- I still I know I get treated differently because of my complexion, right? But these, sure. are, these, these things cannot be addressed by by vilifying other people, right? By by going around, that's why I, I disavow things like saying, like I said, uh, going around saying white privilege. Why? What, what does that? What does that diminishing what somebody else goes through? What does that solve? 
having this type of conversation. You know, right. well, I tell you, it's hard for me because of X, but I'm not blaming you. There's, there's a healing process in that. And maybe at that point you create allies. But of, of the immediate, the introductory uh, sentences, you're privileged because you're white and I'm hurting. It, you know, it's just human nature. If somebody called me, I'm like, F you. you know what I go through in my life? You know, so I'm hoping that we get to a point where we, we could discuss these things without pointing fingers. And yeah. with, with hands of of a friendship being extended, um, and that doesn't mean that you have to to silence yourself or to not say what hurts, but express your hurt without saying that other people uh, are not going through hurt and accept their stories as well. So uh, that's I hope that's where we get to in life. Well, I mean, I gotta say, and from my experience, actually, even that phrase "white privilege," I mean, sometimes it's pissed me off. It's like you don't know what I've been through, and and then, I mean, certainly, you know, there's plenty of really poor white people out there that they're not feeling. You know, of course, it's gonna upset them. (laughs) You know, like, so why are you even like? Is this really the best way to solve the problem? It's not that there's not a problem, or it's not that things can't get better for every, you know, for everyone involved, and that you know, uh, people of color. You know, have a, a certain set of issues that are going to be a, that are going to make their lives difficult because right. they are a minority culture inside mm-hmm. the United States. But um, you know, we have to figure out a way to be able to have a conversation yeah. about it that's healing on all levels, and not you know, like I don't know, like even that term "white privilege." You just know that some people are going to have a bad reaction, and then there's going to be a conflict. It's already right. setting you up to fail yeah. if your yeah. goal is is harmony. Yeah. By the way, this is not even theory. I wasn't, and when I was in Fort Collins, I attended a. I was like, I forgot who who did it. And it was some type of a feminist rally. I like mm. to think I'm a feminist. To be honest, I I always nice. I'm just I'm in the corner of, of people that feel like they've been oppressed. Right. I've always been for the underdog, and so yeah. there's an inner feminism in me as well. So I went to this rally. I said, Yeah, I'm gonna support this lady. I was having actually, I was like, Yeah, this is actually pretty hip. And then this lady came over. This effing men. And I was like, hey, I got defensive. What the hell do you yeah. mean? <laughs> I didn't do nothing to you. So choose your words wisely because there's no need to be antagonistic uh, and turn off. The, if you want to know, so part of the reason why Trump was elected is because he took advantage of people that felt like they were not being paid attention to. So right. he became their demagogue. And so maybe parts of those people might, might not have ranted at Trump if they felt like they were being included in the struggle. But when they're being told that their struggle doesn't matter, they're going to find somebody that will tell them that their struggle matters. Yeah, that's so, right. That's exactly right. You know, so I don't know. I, I feel like we, we have to get away from this top-down management of, 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 of our lives and, 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 and the quest for justice and, and do it from the bottom, from us, from the people that are struggling and, and not expect people that yeah. are thriving to save us. They don't want right. to. <laughs> They're thriving. Why do they want the status quo to change? Right, totally. (laughs) Well, the other thing that really comes to mind, too, is that there are natural differences that people have. I mean, white American culture is different than black American culture. Men are different than women. And so then what are we going to, you know, we have a choice. Like sometimes white people are going to be uncomfortable. I mean, if you took me in Mendocino County here where there's like, 
one black person. Right. You know, I can even drive to Oakland and hang out in a black neighborhood for a while. I'm going to be a little bit uncomfortable because right. I'm just not used to it. Right, you know, okay, it's not right, because right. I have like some part of me right, that, right, right, right. you know, right. hates the other person or whatever. Right. There's just a little natural uncomfortability because I'm not used to it or whatever. And then all of a sudden that's what gets exploited. You know, right. that's where the system, the colonial system is going to say, we can't have these two, you know, different communities unite against us. So we're going to exploit these natural differences, this little bit of uncomfortability, and we're going to create that and turn it into a Grand Canyon divide mm-hmm. where they'll never get together and they'll always be fighting with each other. And that's yeah. that's what's frustrating to me, where I'd like to be able to say, hey, I can go in Oakland, I can be uncomfortable for a couple of weeks, and then I can make a few friends and start yeah. to realize that we're not that different, you know. Yeah. Uh, or I can go in there and, you know... I, the the me I can be listening to too much of the mainstream media or right. you know but, the next thing I'm worried way, about getting mugged all the time and I can freak out. Yeah, and, <laughs> by the way, I actually, but same thing happened to me. I, I was thinking, oh, South Carolina, uh, what's going to happen? Right. And, you know, next, but because I chose uh, to to have an open mind and I started, you know, you in life, you, uh, your reality becomes as you choose to see it. To be honest, so if you choose to yeah. see. Uh, uh, through, you know, dirty glasses, you will see dirt everywhere. Um, you know, there's, uh, I was taking a, when I was in college, there was something that, I forgot what, exactly what the, the term is, but if you buy a car and you buy a, a green Ford Escort, all of a sudden you get on the highway, you will see nothing but Ford green Escorts, right? Right. It's because something is now, you know, personal to you, that you see it everywhere. You're thinking, What? That everyone trying to be like me or whatever, right? Joke. <laughs> yeah. It's just that's because this is not the prism that you see the world through. So if the prism that you see the world a world through is through anger, you will find nothing but stuff that will get you pissed off at all times. So choose right. to put on the the goggles of hope, uh, and you'll see hopeful things. And so, uh, so, like I said, it's you know instead of depending on on the rich and powerful to, to be our saviors. You know, I, I, I wrote this uh, recently too, but if um, if you're in Vegas and you're on a blackjack table with 10 other people and you keep hitting 21, 21, 21, you keep, you, you don't ever bust. You just keep winning. Even when you're not hitting 21, you're winning. And everyone else at the table is losing. Who amongst us will say, hey, this dealer is not fair. I want another dealer so that it could be more equitable. Yeah, no. You know, I'm like, no, I want to keep this dude here as long as, you know what I'm saying? So within that room, we're expecting people that are hitting 21 in life at all times to to change the dealer for us. It ain't going to happen. Yeah. We're the the ones that's going to have to force the dealer to change. And the only way we could do that is to unite as one people instead of clapping on as the, 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 the person's getting 21 all the time and we're busting at every two, every, every hand. So it's up to us to stop being a, a, a nation of a cult of personalities and uh, demand a new dealer and a, de- a new deal. Not the type of new deal that FDR gave us, but a new deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. And the only way we are going to get that is to unite together and just be, you know, be able to have respect for our differences, but keep our eye on the ball because right now it's just 
I mean, I don't know. You know, I'm glad that I'm doing this. I'm glad that you're doing the work that you're doing. I hope that, you know, all the people that are doing this gain more and more of a following. And somehow there's got to be a momentum that starts to turn it around. It seems interesting. I did a little bit of work. I did some work up here in Mendocino County a few years ago with um, this community rights public banking angle, Mm. where I, I was hoping we were trying to turn Mendocino County into a charter county. And then put in the charter that we were going to have a public bank, the county was going to own its own bank, and we were going to break away from the, uh, you know, from, the, from the central no. bank <laughs> system. You live to tell about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It was, it was, it was a crazy idea, and it never got big enough to even, you know, we weren't pissing pissing off any of the big boys. Right, that's why you're living now. <laughs> yeah, right. But I, but it was a good. It's a good. You know, I think it was a solid plan, and I don't know if that's the kind of plan that can maybe start to gain momentum around the country. Um, but uh, you know, there has to become some kind of more cohesive political, some kind of alternative political movement right. that's cohesive enough that it can actually start to. You know, I, I think about the populist movement in the 1880s, 1890s, right. some, something like that that just comes up and says, you know what, we don't need this anymore. You know, we <laughs> we can do our own thing yeah, in our own yeah. communities and we're going to be a lot better off for it. But we'll just keep plugging away. Do you want to uh, give people your well, – go ahead. No, I'm sorry. <clears throat> the, the thing falls up for a second. But, I, you know, I think ultimately it goes back to this. Um, it's incrementalism. Uh, it's not going to be a one big bang. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's something as each one of us has to make a decision each day, uh, whether or not we're going to empower, do things that empower the community where we live or hands over power to people that don't live amongst us. So shop locally, eat locally, grow locally as much as possible. And it doesn't have to be binary. Again, stop with the binary thinking. Just as much as you can, you know, when you uh, when you start to work out, you don't get to from, you know, out of shape to in shape the next day. You know, you 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 start, you know, walking maybe at first if you're really out of shape, then you, you start jogging, then you add more weights to, you know, so the, incrementally you get you know stronger and and more vigorous as you go along. And so it's the same way. You just start with with a small step. And then see where it takes you. But in the back of your mind, I say, okay, this is where I want to go. But let me start with this. So, um, you know, just think community instead of thinking corporate. Corporation versus community, choose community because you're choosing yourself that way. Yeah, it sounds like a plan. All right. Well, I think we better wrap it up. Looks like we're about an hour and a half in. So that's all the time we got for today. But I really appreciate you coming on the show. And thanks a lot for all the work that you're doing. I've really, I have personally enjoyed it a lot and I hope people who listen to this check out the, the, Gale, the Gale journal Thank you. Uh, and get, get more information uh, out of it. Not just uh, the actual factual information that you're giving, but again, your writing style, I really appreciate. So I hope uh, that you keep on spreading the word. Sure. Do you want to let people know your, uh, your contact information, the other things you got going on, like the Guillaume cast, your YouTube sure. channel and, and, uh, so they can find out more. Sure. So yeah, you could uh, check us out all the time. Uh, I try to write at least once, once a day as, uh, as much as I can. And we have other writers as well. Tim Neal, uh, that that's also a writer and trying to add more uh, people that's, uh, on, on the blank out on the other name for some reason. 
that editor. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, that was so we're adding. We're trying to add on more people uh, to the team. So if you wanted, uh, if you if you love to write, uh, send us an email at info@gamerjournal.com. Uh, the information can be found at at the, at the website, which is www.ghion.gamerjournal.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, Gion Journal, and I'm also on Twitter as well. And, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty much everyone on social media. Let me just add this, uh, the, something that I, I wrote about today on, uh, on the Gion Journal. Uh, you know, part of decentralizing is to also decentralize power from Facebook and Twitter and, uh, and, and you know, YouTube. And, uh, you know, use other media platforms, whether it's Minds or MeWe or uh, mm-hmm. You know, and also go back to the old-fashioned way. You know, you see an, an article sent on email. You know, the the best way to uh, defeat high-tech algorithms is to uh, to to go through low-tech, and really low-tech is conversation. Talk to each other. You know, <laughs> read something on 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 the Gillen Journal. Uh, if you if you watch this interview, just say, "Have you seen this in person?" Stop chatting and have a conversation instead. So, right. <laughs> so you know, go back. Maybe the revolution is, is the de-evolution back to where we used to be, the root of who we are as human beings, uh, which is a community, yeah. and uh, stop being uh, a, a bunch of corporations living together. So, uh, yeah, check us out at, at any time at, at uh, thegearandjournal.com, and uh, as, you know you can also uh, uh, find us on social media as well. So that's uh, that's a bit about us. All right. Very good, Tedros. Really appreciate being on the show. Just uh, in closing, I want to remind people, if they like what they're hearing, they can support me at Patreon at patreon.com backslash The Shift. And if you want to find out more information about my stuff, you can go on Facebook at The Shift with Doug McKenty. Uh, join our conversation on Twitter at D McKenty. And uh, the website for the show is theshiftnow.com. So you can check that out for more info. And I've got my archives up there as well. So... Uh, thanks so much for being on the show, Titeros. Totally appreciate the work that you've been doing, and uh, keep up the good work. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate you, Doug. And like I said, keep supporting independent media. That's where it's at. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks a lot.